1: Mad Money is away today. But don't worry, I've got something special for you from my friends here at CNBC. Listen in.
3: A Friday rally on Wall Street. Good evening, Mad Money fans. I'm Courtney Reagan. There's no gym tonight, but fear not. The next 60 minutes will be filled with stock picks and investing insight. We begin with today's big market rally that closed out a dizzying week. The Dow, that was the big winner, gaining 658 points. That's up more than 2%. The S&P 500, up 1.9%. And the NASDAQ, up 201 points. So what drove the action? Well, expectations the Fed may not be as aggressive as traders thought just yesterday. Hopes for signs of a bottom, Wall Street earnings, and a bounce back in tech and energy. Look at some of the moves that we've seen. Citi up 13%. Netflix up 8%. United Health up five percent bob fasani is our man tracking the action as always and what a day it was bob
4: yeah courtney you know wall street states a solid rally
5: though it wasn't enough to bring the major averages really back into positive territory up uh, for the week better than expected june retail sales really helped drive the gains early on thanks to strong food sales gasoline sales even furniture sales were a little stronger than expected Wall Street welcomed the continued signs that spending was still healthy, despite obviously high inflation. Now, that boosted consumer discretionary stocks today. So Beth and Body Works, for example, Foot Locker, even Signet Jewelers was strong, as well as automakers like Ford and General Motors. They also gained steam about 4 percent up on the day. Travel and leisure names also saw some relief. Casino names like Wynn and MGM, along with the airline stocks and the cruise stocks. After a rather tough week for that sector. Now, financials were strong as well, thanks to strong bank earnings from Citigroup and Wells Fargo. But this comes right after many of those big names sank to 52-week lows just a day ago. Despite the gains today, the average bank stock was down this week. Now, we saw five stocks advancing for every one stock declining. That's pretty good. Not bad at all for being the only update on the week. The problem here, Courtney, is the volume is still very meager on updates, very light. The selling pressure may not be as intense as it was a month ago, but there's still not a lot of buying enthusiasm.
3: Courtney. Thank you very much, Bob. We have so much to dig into this hour. A deeper dive into critical corners of the market to find new investing opportunities. We'll look at energy, which is also coming off a wild week. The market, the economy, the Fed, and the new stock leadership emerging. On housing, a major shakeup in the once booming sector, changing the game for home buyers and investors. To retail, one of the most difficult industries to navigate, we'll bring you a strategy to help find the winners. We'll cover the financials and why some of the best bets may be found in fintech and why the next big market battle may pit big tech against a coming recession. Who wins? We'll break down the odds. It's all coming up on a jam packed hour. Let's get right to energy prices. The biggest contributor to inflation, up more than 40, 40% from a year ago, according to the latest CPI report. Gas prices up nearly 60%. You probably feel it every time you fill up. But this week, some welcome relief, at least momentarily. Crude breaking back below. a barrel. We have three reports tonight on the state of energy. Brian Sullivan on the price action, Kayla Tausche on the president's trip to Saudi Arabia, and Pippa Stevens on the push for alternative sources. We begin with Brian on this wild week in the energy patch. Hi, Brian.
4: Hey, Courtney. Okay, I don't want to be the grim reaper up here again. I hope to have a little bit of good news for you. Oil and gas prices falling this week. Oil contracts down about 7%, but now 25% off their highs for the year. So Some relief coming at the pump, hopefully more on the way. Right now, gasoline's national average is 457. That's not cheap, but it was 501 a month ago. And there are some signs that Americans are beginning to drive just a little bit less. Now, it is not just that. There's also growing concerns about Europe's economy, their growing energy crisis. If they don't have enough power to keep the lights on this winter, it's going to send their economy into a deep recession. It'll probably cut demand for all fuels. And so that's one other reason oil has come down. Now, next week is huge. Russia scheduled to restart its Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which is currently down for 10 days of repairs. If they don't restart it Thursday night into Friday, wow, look out below. All right, Courtney, two quick keys to remember as oil futures prices fall. Number one, there is a growing difference between the paper market, the futures that we show you on TV, and the real market. OPEC is selling oil At 104 and change a barrel. That's above where you see the futures trading. Also, full Russia EU sanctions don't kick in until December 5th. Remember, as we've shown you, Russia is selling about as much oil now as before the war and sanctions. So once those kick in, growing concern, we could see a big jump in prices if a few million barrels are taken totally off the market and demand doesn't fall. So maybe what I'm saying, Courtney, shorter Sullivan, enjoy it while you
1: can.
3: (laughs) There is a lot to think through there, Brian. Thank you for sorting out those details and the changes to come in the Russian supply is very important. Well, President Biden is in Saudi Arabia, the world's biggest oil exporter. The pressure is on the commander in chief to bring down gas prices. But can he convince the Saudis to pump more oil? Kayla Talshi has more. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Courtney. President Biden met today with the Saudi
6: royal family, including its leaders, King Salman and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and discussed human rights and energy in that conversation. But the president said any impact on gas prices from this trip won't be felt for another couple of weeks. And National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan downplayed the possibility of any oil deliverables from the meetings in Jeddah. Now, city analyst Eric Lee tells me he believes Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates have a combined excess capacity of two million more barrels per day they could put on the market. But the likely forum for any coordinated increase in output from the Gulf countries is an OPEC meeting. They're next convening on August 3rd. RBC's Halima Croft says the more important date to watch, though, is that one Brian was just mentioning. That comes this winter.
0: There's going to be a real need to have additional barrels really going into Europe to backfill what's not going to be going in there from Russia come December 5. So he does actually need to have a conversation with a few remaining countries that have spare barrels, not simply just for additional supply, but they're going to have to backfill the Russian volumes in Europe come December.
6: So that's going to be on the table in the meeting with Gulf leaders tomorrow. In the meantime, the meeting with the, the Biden administration is discussing several policy paths to increase supply here at home. The Energy Department suggested refiners focus on regular, not premium gasoline. And the department is also evaluating certain export limits on refined products. Companies requested a waiver of the Jones Act, which the White House has ruled out. And companies also requested to use seasonal blends all year, which might yet be possible. The White House is optimistic that prices have already begun falling, even though, Courtney, it's because recession fears. And that's hardly a
3: welcome reason. Court? Absolutely. Of course, supply and demand are such important forces here. And so we want to see the prices fall for consumers, but not if that means that we're facing an economic downturn. Caleb, this is obviously a very complicated situation How much political control or pressure can the president really exert on Saudi Arabia? I know you went through some experts. Some believe possibly, some believe none. But at the end of the day, net-net, can the president really do anything to provide some relief for gas prices?
6: Well, I think jawboning is probably the most effective thing that the president can do. We've seen many administrations, not just the Biden administration, do that to try to talk down the price of oil, to talk about potential supply coming on the market, to at least directionally get the market going where it wants it to go. Whether it can actually convince Saudi to put more barrels of oil on the market remains to be seen. OPEC Plus did have a sort of symbolic increase earlier in the summer that it's going to be implementing over the next several months, but it wasn't really enough to move the needle. But that still is being read by the administration as some willingness uh, by OPEC plus to be able to increase a little bit more and that perhaps the fact that President Biden agreed even to show up in Saudi Arabia to legitimize uh, the crown prince who he has criticized so much that perhaps that will go a long
3: way for Saudi eventually saying that it would put more oil out there. Absolutely, Kayla. Complicated is a light word for the situation there between the president and Saudi Arabia with the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Thank you very much, Kayla. I know you've been working hard all day on this. Well, the big push to reduce dependence on Russia's oil and natural gas is giving nuclear power, once controversial, another
7: look. Pippa Stevens is here to go beyond the barrel. Is this a reality, Pippa? Well, Courtney, with Europe in the throes of an energy crisis, we're hearing more and more about an all-of-the-above approach looking forward, and that includes nuclear. The EU recently voting to add nuclear power to its taxonomy of sustainable investments, and this opens the door for potentially hundreds of billions of dollars in new funding. Meantime, the IEA saying nuclear has a unique opportunity to stage a comeback. And this, of course, comes as oil and gas prices surge, which makes alternative sources like nuclear, wind, and solar more attractive. And the longer fossil fuel prices are elevated, the better the case for renewables. But despite this potential, we haven't seen a response from stocks in the industry. Two funds that track uranium stocks, the URA and URNM, both sharply lower for the year. Cameco, Kazatomprom, and NextGen Energy among the largest players. Solar and wind stocks haven't fared much better. Sonova, Sunrun, and First Solar all down more than 25% for 2022. when developers like Orsted and Vestas also in the red. These industries have been hit hard by uncertain policy, supply chain bottlenecks, and rising raw material prices. More recently, macroeconomic concerns have weighed, as well as a broad rotation out of growth stocks as interest rates rise. So, Courtney, there's this huge (laughs) growth opportunity ahead, but for right now, a whole lot of red. I was going to say, it sounds nice to have the opportunity to maybe switch energy sources, but this
3: is not something that can be turned on a dime, not something that could be turned quickly, even if it was without controversy, Pippa, I mean, what is the reality that we could really see nuclear as a viable source of energy that would pull away from our use of fuels? fossil fuels anytime in the near
7: future, whatever you deem that to be. Well, the reality, as you said, is that this all takes a very, very long time. These are all long-term targets, long-term policies. And right now we're in the throes of this energy crisis. And so everyone is trying to figure out what do we do next and what does the future of our energy system look like. But really, you know, in the here and now, we need to make sure we have supplies. And so then it's balancing the short and long term um, right now as we try to secure supplies complicated picture.
3: Thank you for following it for us, Pippa Stevens. Although prices at the pump have started to come down, they're still a lot higher than they were a year ago. One of the reasons, a shortage in refining capacity. Refining stocks like Marathon Petroleum, Valero and Phillips 66 double digits year to date. But over the past month, they've sold off pretty sharply. Those names are racing over a quarter of their value from 52 week highs in early June. So which stocks might be buys, which stocks might be sells? Let's bring in Dan Pickering of Pickering Energy Partners. He is joining us here. You know, I understand, Dan, you're not a huge fan in general of the refiners. Can you tell us why not what you see the risks are here as we're looking forward?
8: Sure, Courtney. And I think the reality around the refiners is I just see better value in some of the other energy names. Refiners are earning a significant amount of money right now throwing off a ton of cash. I think one of the risks is they're they're probably at peak margins in terms of gasoline margins in the near term here in the U.S. for sure. And then uh, I think yeah, Kayla or, or Pippa mentioned the issue of potential export bans, which I think is a long shot, but it's a risk and then I think finally you have this issue of the White House, which is bashing the refining sector essentially uh, every chance it gets. And so it always makes me a little bit nervous when we've got you know policy and political winds blowing around uh, stocks in the sector. So I think they're fine. I just think there are better names in, in the energy space in general.
3: Okay. So let's dig into some of those. Uh, I understand that there are names that you do like in nuclear energy, although Pippa just ran us through a lot of the red that we're seeing there in that particular patch of the energy sector. What do you like and why?
8: Yeah, I think that if you want diversified exposure there, you, the, the uranium ETFs, URA is, a, is an interesting one. Um, in terms of company specifics, one of the small caps that we're intrigued by is uh, new scale power. Uh, SMR is the the symbol there, small modular reactors. Uh, These are are smaller projects that can move faster. Faster does not mean fast. Uh, This company has one of the only designs approved by the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Agency. Their first project, 2029. Mm. So definitely speculative in nature, long-term, but if you want to play, you've got to find you know, some of these direct plays. And and so the ETFs or a name like new scale is is interesting.
3: Hmm. And then solar stocks, when we're thinking about alternative energy, it seemed like it was an area that was a very hot topic some time ago. But haven't heard much discussion lately, although every time you see gas prices rise, everyone starts picking around at alternative energy. What do you see on the solar stock front if there is any opportunity there?
8: Yeah, well, we, we we took a hit today in the sector with uh, Manchin basically saying he's not going to push through any climate initiatives. And so we lost potentially some of the political support for the names. But uh, we like the residential solar area. Uh, you had Sonova on earlier uh, today on, on the channel. And um, so we like Sunova, Sunrun. Those are names that we think from a residential perspective are getting some traction. Folks disconnecting from the grid, given all the volatility and high prices that we're seeing and likely to see. So I think you've got to pick your spots here. But we like the residential place.
3: And uh, we're almost out of time here, but I understand you have a number of other top picks throughout the energy patch. We haven't quite gotten to yet. So uh, dealer's choice there. You get to pick which stock you want to talk about here. Give us a couple names.
8: You bet. Favorite ideas upstream. Think about oil and gas producers. Uh, we really like Devon here. It's been a, a leader in the space. Pulled back here to, uh, here in the last couple of months. Um, we think that stock's a double, trading less than four times cash flow. Antero is a gassy name in the same in the same sector, pr- producing uh, hydrocarbons. That that stock's under two times cash flow. It's a thirty percent free cash yield. Another double. We think so. Those would be a couple of our favorites in the upstream side.
3: Got it. Dan Pickering, thank you so much. Those are some good, good picks and give us a lot to think about as we talk a lot about energy in the days and weeks to come, I'm sure. Thanks for joining us this evening. Well, still to come, we'll break down the five key parts of the market you need to watch. Our guests will tell you the best ways to profit in each, including big tech, the focus of nearly every investor. How will the group hold up against a recession? And as we head to break, check out the biggest winners and losers in that group today. Netflix, PayPal, DocuSign with the biggest gains, while Lucid, JD.com, and Datadog were some of the few names unable to regain that traction. We'll be right back.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet.
3: Welcome back to this CNBC special, Taking Stock. Let's look at the state of the economy. A 100 basis point rate hike. Once unthinkable, it's now the talk of Wall Street. A growing number of economists say that's what it will take to get inflation under control even if it means going into recession. But the odds of a supersized hike keep climbing. With us, one of the economists calling for 100 basis points, Wells Fargo, Sarah House, also with us to discuss investing as the aggressive Fed potentially gets more aggressive, Keith Fitzgerald. He's principal at the Fitzgerald Group. Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Why do you think 100 basis points is still on the table when today it seemed as if perhaps some of the economists are thinking, nah, 75 still feels about right?
10: Right. So our expectation of a hundred basis point height came out of that super hot CPI print that we saw. On Wednesday. I think since then, we have seen some of the economic data suggest that the U.S. economy is on potentially a slightly weaker footing. And then, of course, we also saw some Fed officials signal that 75 still is is more or less okay in, in their book. But I think it's still on the table considering the fact that Fed officials have indicated that they want to get back to neutral and, are needy, and that the economy needs to get back to a restrictive stance of policy here soon. And so that 100 basis point hike would certainly move that policy rate towards neutral, potentially into restrictive territory in that expeditious fashion that Chair Powell and other Fed officials have been saying that policy needs to move to.
3: Sarah, this just seems like a very atypical economic situation that we're in when we have employment still fairly strong, the consumer still fairly strong, even as inflation rages. Can you have a a weakened economy because of monetary policy, but still have high inflation, meaning even if we do a 100 basis point hike, is it possible it still doesn't work?
10: Well, I think we have to remember that monetary policy works with a lag. And I think that is one of the factors that Fed officials are beginning to grow cautious about and how we think that Fed policy hiking will slow over the remainder of, of this year. But first, they have to get back to restrictive territory. And when we look at whether inflation will come down with a with 100 basis point hike, you know, it's going to take some time. So what the core CPI showed this week is that inflation continues to have exceptional momentum and it is going to take some pretty aggressive moves by the Fed to bring pricing, uh, to bring inflation down lower and
3: bring demand back better in line with, with supply and get inflation under control. So, Keith, now that Sarah has sort of laid the groundwork for us, and it does seem that we can all agree at least growth is slowing, I think, to be determined what happens with inflation therein. But we had a nice rally on Wall Street today here, up about 2 percent. Does that suggest to you that we still have not yet put a bottom in the market? And with all of that in consideration, what's your advice for investors in such uncertain times?
11: Well, I think those are all very, very excellent questions. So two things strike me today. It was nice to see some green on the screen, no matter what your perspective is on inflation, what the hike's going to be, etc. It just—it was a relief to see some green instead of this sea of red. But I do think the markets are getting ahead of themselves. It didn't feel quite right. I think that the Fed is perhaps going to hike not only one base point, 100 basis points, but we might even see an interim meeting, which means we're going to have more faster. The markets haven't priced that in yet. So here's my advice. Keep it real simple. Keep it right on the fairway. Now's not the time to be a hero. The question for investors right now is to ask themselves not where's the hot money going, but what companies are going to change the world we live in and who's going to be here five years from now, 10 years from now, because those are the companies you want to play ball with right now. Let everybody else lie. Don't Don't try to nail it.
3: So can you give us some example of those these fairway picks that you're talking about companies that are going to be around help us change and innovate for the future in five years from now so you're talking five term time horizon for some of these picks.
11: Yeah, I am, because the odds of success are much higher. I mean, if you're talking about tomorrow, it's 50-50. But if you're three to five years out, it's 82.5% of a higher close. Ten years out, you're talking 92 93%. So if you look around, everybody's changing the way they buy things. They're changing the way they go to the store. But nobody's giving up an Apple. Nobody's giving up a Microsoft. Nobody's giving up some of the Pfizer's or the Gilead's. Those are things. Costco, those are all names that you've just simply got to have in your portfolio. They tend to be lower beta dividend producers most of the time uh, if you're doing your job Right. And those are the companies that are going to be here. They're not likely to fail. And you can't say that about everything else. The mistake is that people are tending to lump them all in one basket. And that's simply not true.
3: Well, that's why you got to watch CNBC. You can't lump it all together. You got to do your homework. Exactly. Thank you for helping us do that. Keith Fitzgerald and Sarah House. Well, coming up, the red hot housing market showing signs of slowing. Mortgage demand is down. Expensive homes are being listed for longer. The housing trade been hard to navigate, but there are a few names that might be about to turn as we head to break inflation, hitting nearly every aspect of the home, especially those materials. Check out some of the building product makers over the past three months. We'll be right back.
0: Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card.
3: Welcome back to the CNBC special, Taking Stock. A look now at the state of housing. Home prices hit a record during the pandemic. The median price of a home sold in May was over four hundred and seven thousand dollars. That's up fifteen percent year over year. But just as quickly as things heated up, they're starting to cool down, and a lot of it has to do with the doubling of mortgage rates. Diana Olick takes a look at the massive changes that are underway. Good to see you, Diana.
0: Hey, Courtney, yeah, let's just start with that. The average rate on the 30 year fixed was hovering right around 3% at the start of January, near a record low. Now it's pushing 6 percent. Combine that with still fast rising home prices this spring and affordability just tanked. Now, after an historic housing shortage, the number of active listings is finally rising and fast. The latest read last week showed supply up 28 percent from a year ago, that according to Realtor.com. Now, that's a combination of new sellers trying probably to get in on the end of the red hot housing market and the fact that homes for sale are just sitting on the market longer. And that additional supply is putting an end to all those bidding wars as sellers now have to come back to earth, as in, you know, drop their asking prices. Some of the hottest work-from-anywhere markets of the pandemic are seeing the most sellers cut. Topping the list, Boise, Idaho, where over 61% of sellers slashed the prices in June. It was followed by Denver and Salt Lake City rounding out the list of top 10, formerly red-hot markets like Seattle, Portland, and Tampa. These are cities where prices went really through the roof. Boise up 60% from pre-pandemic. Nationwide, prices are up close to 40% from March of 2020. And just one more quick change. A growing number of buyers are canceling deals on both new and existing homes that they agreed to buy because they either no longer qualify for the mortgage or they see the market cooling and feel maybe they can get a better deal later on. Courtney.
3: Well, very fascinating. Diana, I want you to stay right there. The move in builder stocks has been a head scratcher a little as well. They've been beaten down for a while despite the pandemic boom. The XHB at ETF is off 30 percent this year. But over the past month, It's up about 5% outperforming the S&P. So are the builders bargains? Joining the discussion is UBS analyst John Lavallo. John, I know you were uh, listening to Diana, and you know all the facts as well when it comes to factors that we point to saying this red-hot housing market is cooling off. But you're still pretty bullish overall. Why?
1: Okay, let's 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 break it down. And I don't disagree with a lot of what Diana said, but look, home building stocks are trading with the specter of a significant decline in both volume and pricing. We just don't think it's going to happen. The stocks are trading at four and a half times P.E. They're trading at or below book value on our 23 numbers. So let's look at it in the most basic form, supply versus demand. Supply, Diana said that it's gone up. Yes, it has, but off of a very low level. There's 2.6 months of existing home supply in the market right now. The average is is six months, right? An existing home supply is 90% of the supply. The supply that's out there is at higher price points. It's 44 years old. It's really not suitable for the first-time buyer. So that's the supply side. Let's look at demand. Demand is absolutely moderating, no question about it, but it's not dead. Mortgage rates have gone up about 230 basis points year to date, about 70 basis points in June alone. But listen to this. Google searches, Google searches for June and for new home sales were up 14 percent versus the average of the prior eight Junes. That's pretty significant in a market where June uh, mortgage rates went up by 70 basis points. Here's a couple other interesting tidbits. We have a, a housing intention survey for the second quarter, so it captures June where we had that big ra- rate move. 36% of respondents said that they intend to buy a home within the next 12 months. That's, that is the third highest in, in, on record. Hmm. Another thing, 42% of, of, of respondents said that owning a home is a great investment. That has never been surpassed in history. Finally, 47% said that they expect the value of their home to be higher in 12 months. Um, that's only been surpassed twice. So the supply dynam- uh, demand dynamics are not quite as draconian as, as, as you might think.
3: Very interesting points. I love when we can all look at data but actually see different things than the number. That sort of makes this <laughs> interesting. Diana, I want to yeah. move back to you for a minute because, of course, you speak to a lot of the homebuilder CEOs and the executives. And what I've been finding in retail, which is the, the sector that I cover, is that while consumers are not yet showing their hand weakening, there's a lot of fear that they might. Is that what you're hearing from the home building CEOs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk to the CEOs, they're very clear in their earnings reports that they're seeing a lot less demand and that they're starting to talk about more incentives and ways to really meet the price point of that buyers. And while I don't ever want to disagree with John, you know, I would say (laughs) that, yeah, the existing home supply is pretty high. But look at the supply of newly built homes. It jumped up really sharply over seven months supply. Now, uh, just for everyone out there, a balanced market is generally four to six months supply. That's between buyer and seller. So if you're way above, that on the builders, it says to me, people aren't buying your homes. Hmm. And while people may still think housing is a great investment, which it definitely is over the long term, if you look at the latest consumer sentiment numbers from Fannie Mae, which we just reported this week, it was a very low number of people who think it's a good time to buy a home right now. Now, that may change in six months if prices start to pull back, if interest rates kind of settle off if the economy improves Mm -hmm. or or some good thing comes in that makes them feel better about it. But right now, people are not feeling great about buying a house and especially, it seems,
3: buying new construction. Okay, John, well, help us if we're not going to buy a house, help us buy some stocks. Where do you see some areas of opportunity, whether it's a home builder, whether it's material? Maybe give us a little bit of both. You have a decent coverage list here.
1: Sure, sure. Maybe just one point before that, though, the, the the kind of the spike in new home sales or or the the volume on, on the market in, in terms of inventory, builders had to build before they normally would have because supply took so long to get there. So there's a natural buildup that's going to be worked through. But in terms of the stocks, Dr. Horton is our top pick, biggest home builder by volume by 30 uh, percent. Entry-level focus, they have uh, you know, the size and scale to attract and retain labor, the size and scale to get deals on land and on uh, materials. So we think they're best positioned. They're trading at about four and a half times PE. They're trading right at book value, which, in our opinion, is a screaming buy. And I don't think you have to be super cute when you're buying the stocks here. I think you can go with the biggest and the best because the entire sector has been hit. So the second one would be Lennar. Okay. Lenar is trade- Lunar's trading uh, in a similar range, um, but trading below book value, actually. They are the second biggest by volume. There's some optionality there. They're they're getting rid of some non-core businesses. So two very good opportunities in our view.
3: Got it. John Lavallo of UBS and Diana Olek. thank you very much for joining us both. Well, up thank next, you. the retail world thrown into chaos, first by the supply chain and now by an inventory glut. Not even CEOs are getting it right, but we have a strategy for investors to help find some winners. As we head to break, check out the performance this year of old school brick and mortar versus online disruptors. All down, but department stores holding up slightly better. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the CNBC special, Taking Stock. Here's another look at today's closing numbers. The Dow up 659 points, the S&P 500 gaining 73, and the Nasdaq up 201. The S&P 500 bank index posting its largest daily gain since January of 2021, though it's still down 32% from its 2022 high. And despite today's rally, the major indexes are still down for the week. The Nasdaq, the biggest laggard, down 1.5%. Now, to the state of retail. If you thought the 2022 carnage in the market was bad, look at some of these names. Wayfair down 73% this year. Etsy down 62%. American Eagle cut in half. The consumer, fickle. The supply chain, a mess. Not even seasoned CEOs could get it right. Target, Walmart, The Gap, Bed Bath & Beyond, they're all slashing prices to move merchandise. The CEOs of both The Gap and Bed Bath & Beyond are out among several others. But Costco and BJ's Wholesale, those are holding up relatively well. Consumers are willing to pay up for memberships if it means discounted prices. And the Costco CEO told CNBC this week, it's all about knowing your customer.
5: Overall, I think the consumer is not doing bad. As you can see, unemployment is down significantly. If people want to work, they can work. So, uh, you know, my view at the moment, things aren't so bad.
3: So who else is getting it right? Well, joining me now, two analysts who cover two different parts of the retail industry, BMO Capital, Simeon Siegel and Evercore ISI's Greg Mellick. Uh, Greg, I'm going to start with you just because we did just speak uh, uh, there, give the Costco CEO soundbite, and I know that's in your coverage. Do you believe that Costco is one of the players that's getting it right like so many others do? And what are some other names that may be good to play as we look at potentially slowing economic growth?
13: Yeah, we do. We do like Costco. It's one of our our top favorite names uh, with a buy. I think the key there is that the consumer really loves the value. So they they play to a middle income, higher income consumer. Uh, They won millions of new uh, subscribers or customers during COVID. And now their renewal rates have hit record highs because people really love the shocking value that Costco got. them. So Costco is one that we like here.
3: What about Walmart and Target, Greg? Obviously, these businesses are are largely considered fairly well run. They had decent sales, but really sort of mismanaged, I guess, the cost of inflation and freight and all these other factors going into the quarter. And their stocks took a beating as a result. Do you think, Greg, that uh, Walmart and Target then make more attractive entry points here? Or is that not really where you would play this value trade you're talking about?
13: Look, they're they're more attractive than the beginning of the year, but frankly, we've successfully avoided them. And I think the issue is is that when you have 40-year inflation, uh, you need companies with pricing power. And you know, Walmart and Target fight in the middle of it in general merchandise with Amazon, which is seeing their margins go negative given all the capacity they added. So uh, we, we would prefer uh, something like a Home Depot, which is down 30%, almost as much as Target but our target estimates and earnings are come down uh 35% this year whereas our home depot ones are unchanged at 1650 and that stock's almost down as much so hmm. we would go for pricing power names like home depot uh, some of the auto parts names such as o'reilly automotive will be our top names
3: hmm. and so I mean your coverage list of course looks a little bit different you have a number of the specialty players and specialty in a number of different areas. So this makes it potentially even harder for you. But what names look attractive? I know Gap is one of your coverage names. I believe you have it as a hold, even though, my gosh, there's been a lot of turmoil, including the CEO just uh, recently out this week. last week, or or if, it was, <laughs>
14: it, if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be fun, right? Um, I, I think to Greg's point, at the end of the day, there's the numbers and then there's the multiples. The stocks are showing a drastically worse case, and to the point your prior guest had made, than the numbers have shown. Multiples have contracted. So I think for someone who needs to call the bottom, it's a very difficult environment. For someone who's looking for an opportunity to pick up some stocks that have effectively come down with the rest of the market, it's interesting. And so that's this story of what we're looking for are companies that are better off financially than they were pre-pandemic. You and I have talked about an Under Armour, a Bath and Body Works, like these companies that went from Under Armour was a cash burner. It's now cash generating. It was effectively not making money. Now it's a high single digit margin. So there are companies that took advantage of the last few years and they recalibrated, refashioned, they fixed their businesses. Their multiples right now don't reflect it. So that's how we're looking at. It. And I think to your point, there just happens to be a lot of management turnover as well. And that's, uh, I was looking for the common denominator today. There really isn't one. I think all of these companies watched this amazing benefit last year, and now they're all feeling some pressure. Right. And the question is, who's pulling the report?
3: I think it's interesting that Under Armour is a pick of yours. And when that is one of the other uh, companies without a permanent CEO right now, before we let you go, Simeon, because you do have such a wide coverage and covering a bunch of different specialty subsectors, can you give us a couple names that we might be looking at to play, even if we are still faced with record high inflation in the months and potentially year or so to go?
14: Yeah. So, so the two that I just mentioned, the Under Armour and Bath and Body Works are the go to sleep for a year and they're going to be a lot higher. The other side of the equation to what you're getting at now would be, let's say, a TJX that still has it's it's maybe my version of a Costco where you have companies where people will trade down, but also the brands will gravitate towards them. So an environment where things get tougher, people go to TJ.
3: And of course, TJ, we uh, talk about a lot as a potential beneficiary of some of these over-inventory positions a number of the other players are faced with right now. Well, Simeon and Greg, thank you for joining us this evening.
13: Good, Thank you, Cor.
3: Well, banks kicking off earnings season, setting the tone for the rest of the market, especially fintech. But before that, check out the credit card stocks, consumer spending and retail sales holding up for now. But how much longer? We'll be right back. We'll talk about it. Welcome back to the CNBC special, Taking Stock. It was a big week for the big banks, often viewed as a barometer for the broader economy. Citigroup benefiting from rising interest rates and strong trading results, posting quarterly results that beat Wall Street's expectations. Wells Fargo, profit declining 48 percent from a year ago as the bank set aside funds for bad loans and was stung by declines in its equity holdings. And J.P. Morgan's results signaling a more cautious economic outlook. CEO Jamie Dimon warning that the economy could take a hit from surging inflation and dwindling consumer confidence, quote, sometime down the road. So that brings us to the digital part of the financial economy, fintech. Jamie Dimon may be waving the caution flag on inflation, but a firm says the inflationary environment is actually working in its favor
15: growth that's been going really really well is probably not indicative of consumer shopping i think as the inflation we just heard a uh, another concerning report goes up the demand for buy now pay actually increases because your pricing your, your ability to to buy goes down as prices go up and your salary isn't keeping up a firm is there to help you manage your cash flow more more intelligently over over weeks and months so the demand for bnpl itself is actually increasing among consumers
3: so, are some of the best bets in financials actually found in the beaten down fintech names? Here to help us dig into some of these names, Dan Dolov of Mizuho Securities and Eugene Simoni. He is with us from Moffitt Nathanson. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Dan, I'm going to start with you. I understand that you are a fan of a firm. If you are looking at a firm as a potential opportunity, it's a buy now, pay later product. Is that suggest that you do think things are going to get more complicated for consumers to deal with rising prices and the buy now, pay, buy now, pay later option is the more attractive uh, approach than a traditional form of payment?
16: Hey, thanks again. Great to be on the show. Look, I actually totally agree with Max and I, I heard the soundbite just now. I actually would take it to the next level and I would almost argue that buy now, pay later could be a counter cyclical product. By, what I mean by that is that when people don't have cash and when companies want to sell, the companies are gonna, or the, the merchants are going to accept a bigger discount on their product, which is basically what the buy-now-pay-later companies are making to sell the product. So as things get tighter, you will get a much easier sale going through buy-now-pay-later versus, versus regular debit or regular credit. Hmm. So in a way, buy-now-pay-later might even benefit in a difficult time. And I did, I don't think anyone's thinking about it. That might be the complete surprise because we haven't seen that in any prior cycle. This is a brand new product.
3: Yeah. And some of my reporting in retail, at least I know the retailers are a fan of the buy now, pay later option. And they've seen some pretty positive statistics, even just from, from the early going. And a firm of course has a lot of partnerships with many of them, but Eugene, you're a little less bullish on a firm in particular. Why?
15: That's right. And, uh, of course, Max is a is a visionary of the fintech space, so we don't want to argue with him too much. But uh, from our perspective, there's definitely some benefits to inflation for a firm. First and foremost, higher prices means higher checks, and that's just a higher cut for a firm when it's taking that that fee from uh, from the payment that consumers making. What we're concerned about is higher interest rates. that are affecting the you know the funding costs of a firm, and as a result the possibility that a firm has to pass through these higher costs to merchants. So merchants already right now paying as much as 10 percent as a fee for a firm to, uh, you know, to, to enable the VMPL transaction. If interest rates go up. Those fees would be even higher. And as a result, we think some of the merchants might, might push back on the service.
3: Hmm. OK, well, Eugene, I'm going to uh, kick off the next name with you. SoFi, you actually like here. You think this one is a buy. Tell us, uh, just give us a a brief rundown of how you see the opportunity here and what this company is for those that may not be as familiar with some of these fintech names, why you like it. Yeah,
15: yeah, absolutely. So so SoFi is a very interesting company. It's best known as a student lender. That's how it started. And frankly, its position as a a student lender uh, has been a negative for the company over the over the last couple of years, primarily because of the uh, of the moratorium that the federal government has imposed on the student loan payments. So that has been a negative. Uh, for for this company. What some people don't realize, however, is that that piece is now only about twenty percent of the company's franchise. The other eighty percent is quite a diversified you know digital banking, digital financial services operation that has a lot of interesting pieces. It has a sort of consumer-focused digital bank that they're just starting to build. It has other loans, personal loans, mortgages that are doing much better than, than student loans right now. And it also right. has a kind of what they call the AWS of consumer finance. It's a B2B hmm. service in which they help other, other fintechs uh, right. other fintechs do what they do.
3: Uh, Dan, I want to give you the opportunity to have the last word and give us one other pick in your coverage, a name that you like in fintech where you see opportunities.
16: Quick one, just just to correct, I think that the 10% comment, I just want to say that it, it is a case for a lot of the products, but most likely the merchant discount rate on a firm, and I have to basically make the correction here, is uh, probably in the, like, the low, the mid-single digits. So okay. the 10% extreme, but let me give you a name, Robinhood. Robinhood is a name that everyone knows. Right. It's a great product that the buy side right now doesn't like, but guess what? We did work that shows you that it's trading below its intrinsic value right now. So you're getting it basically at a 30 to 40% discount versus its intrinsic value. So I'm super bullish on Robinhood.
3: Wow, very interesting. A name we certainly talked about in what feels like days of yore, but uh, haven't talked about in a while. Thank you very much for bringing those names to our attention, Dan and Eugene. Well, tech is also in focus. The sectors hit on all sides. Rates, inflation, recession fears, you name it. And now it's facing its next big test. That's straight ahead. And make sure you stick around for the news with Shepard Smith just a few minutes away. Stick right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the CNBC special. We are taking stock of big tech, widely owned names like Apple, Microsoft, Meta, and Alphabet. They're now being really hit with an avalanche of price target cuts. So if the economy does slow substantially, who will win out? big tech or a recession. Steve Kovach is here. One of our earlier guests sort of had a long-term timeline. He looked at five years out and said, let's look at the companies that are changing the game that are going to be with us for some time. Netflix really changed the game for so many of us. The way we live, what we expect about how we can watch entertainment at our fingertips. Business has really been in a bit of trouble lately. What's going on there?
17: Yeah, and and behind these price targets, Courtney, are these concerns that they're not going to be able to get subscribers fast enough. There's concerns that, again, they're going to lose subscribers here in the U.S and Canada and they're going to have trouble getting this ad supported system off the ground in enough time to really you know make up those losses and subscribers that they've been having and then longer term it's going to take a while for them to crack down on password sharing take which we all I are know. dreading when that day totally. happens right crack down on password sharing and then this gaming initiative so those uh, analysts are seeing as like one to two year plays but over the next 12 months not looking so good for Netflix, hence these price target cuts.
3: And so it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with recession, really. It just has to do with saturation. Exactly.
17: Got it. Especially here in the United States, especially with competition, our own Peacock and Disney Uh Plus and Hulu, you name it, everyone has a streaming service now and Netflix is feeling it.
3: Right. So obviously Apple products are things that many of us feel we can't live without, but they're very, very expensive. If a recession does come down pretty heavy-handed, What does that mean for upgrade cycles for iPhones and the new Mac that just came out? I mean, is Apple really in trouble here? Can it fight against a recession?
17: Well, Apple's not going to go anywhere. Let's just be clear about that. They're not going to go out of business anytime soon. But, yes, it's Apple versus the recession. I was talking about this yesterday. Can they be this unique company that stands out and can uh, have enough demand for their products even in the middle of a recession? Some data out today or out earlier this week was saying, Actually, yeah, maybe. Demand is actually really high in China because Apple's main competitor there, Huawei, stopped making phones. So now, where do they go if they wanna spend a lot of money on a phone? They go to Apple and then here in the United States, huge market and it's it's still pretty healthy. So the wealthy consumer seems to be handling this inflationary situation we're in and there's optimism around Apple for that, not so much when it comes to the App Store though. That's the behind the price ah, targets. Oh, that's very yeah.
3: interesting. Well, that's funny with the the China notion that's almost like a winner by default Exactly. It really, you know. I mean, maybe it crushed the competition, there's no other choice, right? So Indeed. you go go there. Well, Steve Kovach, thank you so much for joining thank us you. here tonight to talk about big tech. You know, that's not going to be the end of that discussion with all those widely held. Thank you so much for watching this special hour of Taking Stock. The news of Shepard Smith starts right now.
12: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.